Hello, friends, and welcome to the Heath Bar. This episode of the Heath Bar is brought to you by the Buffalo Bodega. The Buffalo Bodega Gaming Complex is a full-service casino with gaming, dining, beverages, and live entertainment every Friday and Saturday night. The complex blends the old with the new, having a bar that's been there since 1877 and a remodeled lounge just a few years old. Located on Main Street in Deadwood, South Dakota, the Buffalo Bodega Gaming Complex is in the middle of all the action. From the front door, you can see the gunfights, bands, streets, festivals, parades, and more, all while gaming in a very unique setting. Give them a check out next time you're in Deadwood. Also, this episode is brought to you by The Music Room. The Music Room is a local business dedicated to supporting creativity through the arts in the greater Black Hills. They strive to unify Spearfish and the surrounding communities through various outlets and opportunities within the music field. Their vision is to spread love of music to future generations by making music education accessible to everyone. No matter your background or budget, they want to help you chase your dreams and reach your goals in music. The Music Room is also the location of Studio 81, where you can get all your mastering, mixing, and recording all done in one fail swoop. They do it all, folks. If you're wanting to get an album recorded, get some of your songs done that you've been working on, that's the place to do it. Go check them out at themusicroomspearfish.com. And as always, folks, be sure to keep up with The Heath Bar by checking out theheathbarpodcast.com. Got all the previous episodes up there, as well as my blog, books I've been reading, everything you want to know about me, I put up there. I got to do some writing. I haven't done any writing lately. It's uh, It's been kind of a weird, busy time for me, but I've got some ideas floating around the old clinker up here, so I'll get some writing, some more blog in there, blog posts in there for you folks, and y'all can give those a read and leave some comments and tell me how much you hate it. All at theheathbarpodcast.com. All right, my guest today is Jim Spears. Jim is the executive director of Arts South Dakota. And if you're not familiar with that group, I definitely recommend you check it out. I'll have the website and everything up in the show notes. But they are an advocacy group for art in South Dakota. Pretty easy title, pretty easy explanation. Uh, They do a lot, though, folks. They do a lot on getting you connected, providing opportunities, and uh, providing resources and help for artists that want to get their stuff out there and help people see it, and just creating that culture of art around our different communities and helping support it however they can. Uh, They've been around a while, and uh, Jim has uh, been someone that I met briefly a couple years back for about five minutes. And you all know kind of how that works. You kind of say hi, you shake hands, introduce each other, and then the night gets away from you and you don't see each other again. But I kept up with him and uh, paid attention to what Art South Dakota has been doing, and I'm really glad that we were able to connect. Uh, He happened to be in Rapid City uh, a while back, uh, for their annual conference, which they did all virtually this year. I'm not sure if any of you were able to be a part of that who are listening, uh, but they provided it all online. Everything was was Zoom. I think they use Zoom or something similar, and you were able to connect and be a part of the uh, conference uh, right from home uh, with COVID going on and everything. And they organized all of that, and they do that annually. They do a bunch of different stuff throughout the, throughout the state. Uh, Jim's also a professional trumpet player. Uh, he's been doing it a long time and it's it's a giant giant passion of his and we talk a lot through that and just what it was like growing up and realizing he wanted to play the trumpet and then where it has led to him today and he's been on several different albums he's performed many many times far more than i think i dared ask him to count (laughs) he's just been doing it a long time and he he's 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 awesome he's mastered it he's He's an incredible person, an incredible human being, and the, the organization that he's a part of and helping promote art in South Dakota is 
absolutely incredible. And uh, I'm really glad we were able to talk about this. If you are an artist in South Dakota, by the way, this is an episode you're going to want to listen to. Uh, we talk through what his organization does as far as connecting people with in whatever area you find yourself in in South Dakota of different people that can help you with your art and help you get uh, your art promoted and uh, get things going out there. And uh, so we talk through that and we talk through what Art South Dakota is and what led him to becoming the executive director of this uh, incredible organization. So you can check that out also at artsouthdakota.org. Uh, definitely worth going there. Um, and you can listen to this episode because we talk through it and we have a great time. So I'm really glad to be able to do this and I'm really honored that I'm able to share this conversation with all of you today. So ladies and gentlemen here at the Heath Bar, please give it up for Jim Spears. Welcome to the Heath Bar, where the conversations are always on tap. Cheers, Jim. Cheers. Welcome to the Heath Bar. Hey, I like it. <laughs> Sitting in your hotel room here in Rapid City. Um, I, I keep telling people this. One day I hope to have an actual studio that I can invite people to and pull out the whole red carpet. But until then, I come to you. So, Well, I'm happy to have you. It's a beautiful day. A little bit windy. It is. But uh, I, I, I miss living. You know, I, I grew up in the hills and I miss just the... the the warm streaks, you know, it's supposed to be 70 over the next few days. And I'm thinking, oh man, it's not going to be 70 when I go back east. Yeah. Because you live in Sioux Falls or? Uh, yeah. Okay. I live in Sioux Falls. Gotcha. Yeah. Last night, uh, I thought my house was going to blow over. It was so windy. It yeah. was crazy. Yeah. Just crazy. Well, the weather, you know, Western South Dakota, you're going to, you're going to have new weather every, every time you look out the window practically. Yeah. Just blink and it'll change. You'll yep. be all right. Yep. You'll be all right. Um, yeah, so I'm really glad that we were able to do this. We shot a few emails back and forth, and I knew you were East River, so I was assuming we would have to do this over Skype or something, and, and you said we were going to be in town because there's a annual conference going on with Art South Dakota. Uh, how's that been going? It's been great. It's been very different, um, you know, like everything in 2020. Um, you know, everything's changed. Our, our organization, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about that at some point, but our organization does a lot of events. Mm -hmm. And so this year, of course, all of those shut down. Yeah. And everything moved into a, a virtual format. And so the conference was supposed to be in May here in Rapid City, and it was supposed to be a big in-person conference. We were thinking two to 300 people would attend. Okay. And uh, we had... Uh, 20 breakout sessions planned, three keynotes, uh, music acts. We were going to be at Hay Camp and at Prairie's Edge, and we're going to be all over downtown. Wow. Um, so, of course, you know, whatever that first week in, in March when all this hit, we knew that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we postponed it, but we didn't want to cancel it because it was such a cool deal, and we had done so much work to put it all together. Mm -hmm. So we postponed it. And of course, in March and April, no one knew what to expect. Right. But pretty quickly, we realized, you know, even early in the summer, it wasn't going to happen this year in person. Mm -hmm. So we did the old pivot and uh, and made it virtual, and it brought in a company, uh, Pinnacle Productions. So they did all the behind the scenes. You know, it was like a zoom on steroids. I mean, we had still had the 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 conference plan just to, as we had in May we just did the whole thing online so we had you know four sessions five sessions happening simultaneously 
you'd come out of your your breakout sessions, you'd go into the keynote room, you know, quote unquote sure. room. Yeah. And then we'd have our keynote speaker. We had performers last night. They were all virtual. Wow. Um, so it was it was very cool and, and really, you know, now that it's all done, I mean, as of, you know, 30 minutes ago. Right, right. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, we're really, really happy with how it went. But still, there's just that part of you that was disappointed that we couldn't all be together. Well, there's a certain element you know, a lot of people have been talking to, especially artists. There's a certain element of community within artists themselves and just wanting to be together, wanting to experience life together. I mean, that's kind of what we do with art. And when you can't do that, I mean, as much as, like you said, as, as great as you can make it virtually, you're still always going to be missing something. Right, yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. that was definitely the case. And, and I think you're right. I mean, I think artists, even though, you know, some artists are known, you know, especially in the visual arts, is, you know, it's a, it's a solo deal. And a lot of times folks want to be, um, you know, they, they need that, that time to themselves, you know, introspection, mm -hmm. uh, quiet time, creative time. But I still think all artists are really, um, uh, you know, it's it's community oriented. We mm -hmm. like to come together, and uh, really, that's I would say that's the number one goal of these arts conferences that mm -hmm. we do. There's a lot of professional development. There's a you know a, a lot of networking, and uh, you know, but it really comes back to people want to come together. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, can't, I I don't know many artists that create their art and then just bury it under a rock. Right, exactly, <laughs> you know yeah, right. I mean? They want they want to get people's feedback, whether it's good or bad, you know, it's just good to, um, you know, I've you go through the whole example of, you know, even bad feedback from someone, It's a, you, you're trying to create a response out of someone and elicit some type of emotion. That's what art does, whether it's good or bad. And not getting to do that for, for a lot of people this year, it's it's been that. I, I've, you know, I'm a uh, musician, performer, that's where my, my art leans towards. And I've got a lot of friends that, and even myself, that the gigs either stopped entirely or they diminished to two or three, you know? Right, right. And yeah. so it's been a tough year yeah. all oh, around. Man. I know, and in this business, you know, the, the, the creative business, especially the performing arts business, I mean, there, there, I don't think there's anything else that could have so totally stopped it. Yeah. For such a long time. I mean, yeah. we've all experienced, especially as musicians, we've experienced the the blizzard, you know, or all right. of a sudden we have to cancel a gig because right. we can't get there. That's one time. I mean, mid-March, it went from, you know, whatever your normal is, you mm -hmm. know, to nothing. Yeah. And it stayed that way. There's, there's this, I was thinking about this this year with that, because there's a certain level of like the the more you progress as a society, the more you get to you get to do and experience. Like if you're worrying about food, you know you're not really worrying about what kind of art am I going to create or anything like that. You know, and we as a society have been really lucky to be able to express many different kinds of art. Just in the as long as I've been alive, I'm in my mid thirties, and uh, something like this though it makes me like think a lot about man how appreciative I am of art form of any level and just it being able to be a part of my life and a part of a lot of people's lives and how fragile it is and it can go away like that. Right, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, it's good that you realize that, you know, and I, I think so few people do fully realize how art impacts 
creativity impacts every moment of our lives mm-hmm. all the time. You know, I, uh, a lot of times you talk about the arts as the capital A arts, you know, and this idea of the, the, the fine arts, the Eurocentric arts, mm-hmm. things like symphony orchestras, ballets, you know, modern art galleries, um, uh, opera, mm-hmm. uh, great. I mean, all of that's yeah. amazing and so important to our arts ecosystem. But, you know, um, so many people kind of push that off to the side, you know, and say, that's, I don't really get it. I don't really like it. I'm not an arts person. Yeah. And, and you quickly want to say, yeah, you are. Yeah. Maybe you're not into ballet. That's cool. No problem with that. But everything you experience in your life has some connection back to art. I know even if you are a fan of the NFL, you're a fan of art because mm-hmm. imagine going to that football game and there's no stadium, no jerseys, no uh, big screen TVs, no cheerleaders, no music acts, no, you know, mm-hmm. if it was just the team out on a grassy field, yeah, it'd still be cool. It's a game, but I guarantee you wouldn't like it as much. Well, and you can even argue that the plays they run are, are art forms, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that, just the, take that it takes that a level. lot of work, you yeah. know? Yep. There's, I mean, art itself can transform a community and it's, you know, this year, one of the things I've noticed is it's when things sw- switch to essential only, uh, arts took a huge hit. And I, I was kind of, I wanted to ask you that, like, do you, as, as essential as things can be, how essential are, is art in just sustaining our, our culture and our society as a whole? Absolutely. I think as essential as food and water and yeah. as shelter. Um, I mean, obviously we need those first, but I, I think... Um, creative expression comes right after that. I mean, um, we just don't, as humans, it's so important to us. It's so ingrained in how we uh, communicate. Um, Yeah, it's absolutely essential. And um, I think maybe even more so right now. I mean, I think as people are locked in their homes, Mm -hmm. you know, we're realizing just how important, you know, Netflix is, which yeah. is, that's all art. I mean, yeah. that's all based on, on you know, on, on, on creative expression. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the, the entertainment value, the fulfillment, the, the, the ability to express our emotions um, is all based on art, you know, grieving and celebrating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of that comes through in song and in, you know, written or spoken word. Um, um, so that it's absolutely essential. I mean, we just, we, we don't function as humans. Yeah. I don't feel without art. I just, I feel very bland when I don't have it. Even yeah, if it's, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too, like art kept happening. I think the thing that we noticed as a culture is we, we didn't get to see it a lot. Like I had a lot of friends that they couldn't gig, so they went into the studio and they're working on an album or they're creating. Uh, a lot of friends picked up writing again, you know, or, you know, my, I myself, I picked up, I, I think I've read more books this year and I've always loved to read, but this year it just like, got dialed up to 11, you know, like I right. got nothing else to do. Might yeah. as well read, you know? Absolutely. And uh, that was, it was, it was interesting to see again, how fragile art is, the expression of art and being able to share it is as a, I don't know if career is the right word, uh, but the people that were making their living off of uh, public art definitely were not seen as essential in, in terms of, of how we would normally think essential. And a lot of them went to the online thing. They would perform online and, and share their shows. And and honestly, that was fun for about two weeks. 
And then it just like, ah, I just wish I was there. I know, know? I know, I, I hear you. Both as an audience member and as a musician, we, uh, uh, one of the groups I play in did a, a virtual concert maybe two weeks in, you know, probably first of April, end of March. So it's just a couple of weeks into the pandemic when, when it was still pretty fresh. I mean, mm-hmm. when it was still like, oh, cool, I can check this out online, you know, right. I want to go in person, but at least I can, you know, and I think you're right. I think we're, we're seeing fatigue yeah. in terms of experiencing everything through our computer screen. Yeah. Um, but I remember as a performer playing and it was just like, boy, this is weird. I mean, you know, we had a couple mics up and you could see in the computer in the background the our image that was going live to Facebook or wherever, but it was just so strange. And people would type in and say, oh, I love that song or great solo, or, but it's not this, you know, you yeah. just aren't getting that visceral, that immediate communication that happens, that unspoken, you know, sometimes it's just eye contact. Sometimes it's just body movement mm-hmm. from an audience. None of that was there. Um, so yeah, even, even right away within the first couple of weeks, I think we realized, you know, within the performing arts community, okay, we got to hang on and we got to keep going, but yeah. it's not, it's not going to work. You know, yeah. it does, it just doesn't work quite the same. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> definitely in for a rough ride. Yeah. It was, and we're still on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do you, do you think that, uh, people have noticed that like, and I, I, in my mind, I think everybody creates art, whether they realize they do or not. But as far as the performing artists and the people who were who are obviously recognized as performing artists and the people that don't do that, do you think that it's been noticed and felt? And do you see things like being appreciated to the same level or more when things come back? Or do you think it's uh, just, ah, it'll be here when it'll be here and I didn't really feel it as much as, you know, I should have, or maybe I'm wording that completely no, wrong. <laughs> I think I understand what you're saying. And, and I think probably in general, if I had to summarize, I think there's probably more of the folks that are really realizing how much they miss, especially local mm-hmm. um, art and creative experiences, especially local performance. You know, it's not only about experiencing music, but it's the musician that you know so well. Mm. And you go and you see him or her or the band and you catch up as friends, yeah. as neighbors, as part of the community. Um, and you hear what they're doing creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think for the majority, I would say fall into that uh, camp. Uh, but I do think there, there are probably, you know, I mean, there's probably some people who just say, I'll just, you know, it is what it is. I'll catch it when it comes back, you know, but I don't, I think that's, that's the minority. I think there's way more people that are saying, give me this music, this, you know, uh, gallery openings, these creative experiences that I probably took for granted for sure. way too long. And sure. now they're gone. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really lost. I want it. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to pass it off to next weekend when you think it's just always going to be there. Yeah. Right. And then exactly. when it's not, also, all of a sudden, that's the way it is with anything. As soon as it's gone, then you miss it. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's it. That's it. As soon as someone takes that one away from you, you know, right. and you're like, oh, wait, wait, I want that. I wanted that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's just human nature though. And well, it's just, let me tell you this yeah. in the hotel where we're staying here for this conference. It's funny, even with food, it's that way. Cause they put this, you know, Naturally, there's some things that they aren't going to serve because they're just not as busy. So yeah. with the menu came this 
this extra piece of paper that said, these are the things we don't have right now. Oh, sure. And you know what? Immediately I got hungry for like mashed, they don't have mashed potatoes. <laughs> That's really what I wanted. You know, of course I didn't think I wanted mashed potatoes until I saw it on that list. Yeah, you know? I, I've known of a few people that quit going to restaurants with, well, they have a limited menu now. So so there's, there's nothing there that I can really get. And even though like the menu is still like, 12 items you know we're just so used to having 30 or 40 items that we can choose from right, right. and we just ah oh, it's not worth it if there's only 12 like, what does that even mean mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still gonna be still 12 items <laughs> right <laughs> and i'm sure there's something that you're gonna like but yeah. it's just it's just what we do i think we're so used to we were so used to having so many options for so long and when that gets it's 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 a new feeling and a new experience to just to be limited in right. any in any aspect yeah. of the thing, yeah. and that was that was one thing I, I felt a lot was even if I I wanted a gig, uh, every gig I did this year has been outside, and uh, there were a few times where I could have done one inside, and and I, I've had this feeling I want to, but even inside I felt limited, like ah, I probably shouldn't do that, right? You know, right? And uh, and it's been you know. This was, this would have been like all through the summer, you know, it was, it was, that's just what it was. And, uh, limiting in, in our society and then limiting in my own self, it was, it was a weird year. It was a weird year, man. Yeah. But, but here we are, we're, I don't know if we're through it or close to through it. I, like I said, there's a lot of opinions on that and it's way beyond my understanding. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I don't have, I'm not privy to all the information out there, but a lot of people think they are and that's, you know, that's okay with them, but. Uh, yeah, so I, let's talk your story a little bit because uh, you told me you were born in Spearfish, correct? Correct. That's awesome. And uh, what got you started just with arts and music and, and moving in that whole direction with your life? Yeah, well, um, I was born in Spearfish and uh, eventually in grade school moved to Rapid City. But I grew up in a, in a musical household. Um, my mom taught elementary music for 40 years, general music. Um, and is an exceptional piano player, uh, great singer, perfect pitch. Um, and, uh, and my stepfather was a band director at Spearfish High School for a long time. Okay. And uh, trombone player. And then just generally my family, my, my dad um, took up piano um, in his 60s. You know, he never really played, but he always wanted to. And he always has loved music mm-hmm. and, and loved art and loves going to a, a new city and experiencing uh, the local museums and galleries. Um, so I think I was always kind of connected to it, but especially through my mom. Um, and um, so I, I, in Spearfish, um, I would have the opportunity to go listen to the, the the high school band quite a bit. And I knew from early on, from as long as I can remember that I wanted to play trumpet. Hmm. I mean, I just knew that was the instrument. And, uh, and um, so fifth grade or the summer uh, after fourth grade, I went, I was living in rapid by that time and started on the trumpet with, uh, I'm so fortunate. I was in a community that has a great music education program. Uh, The Rapid City Public Schools, when I was growing up and still to this day have an exceptional um, music program uh, from from elementary through high school. And um, at the time, you know, some local legends really, Milo Winter, who was the a longtime band director at Stevens High School. He was the uh, person who first uh, taught me how to play trumpet. He okay. and a, a gentleman named Stuart Christensen. And, um, and then when I went to 
middle school or th all through elementary school and then middle school and then even in high school, all of my band directors were trumpet players. Huh. So, you know, man, that's that. that Everyone you were looking up to. Was, yeah, okay, exactly. Gotcha. And, and, you know, I mean, so when they would demonstrate something to the band, they would play on trumpet. You sure. Know? And so, I mean, I always had that front row seat to some really, really good trumpet players and, and trumpet teachers. And, and so that's really what got me started. Um, and I'm just so blessed that I had teachers that took a personal interest and knew that, um, you know, not that I was necessarily better than everyone, but maybe just, maybe just a little more focused or more into it or, or whatever the, the case, but they could tell that I wanted to play. And so they, you know, I, I would get private lessons even in elementary school. Um, you know, I, I can remember um, as an extra challenge, Stuart Christensen, we didn't have very many clarinets in fifth grade. And so clarinet and trumpet both play in the same key center, the key of B flat. Sure, yeah. And so he said, I want you, why don't you jump over there and play some clarinet parts during rehearsals? And so those are very, especially at that point in your development, clarinet parts are a lot harder than, you know, fifth grade clarinet parts are much more technically challenging than fifth grade trumpet parts. Okay. And so I think that was a, a way for him to say, you know, push yourself a little bit. Sure, sure. And so then I went through, I went into um, middle school, um, Spearfish uh, West Middle School, and Gary Hansen uh, was the director there and another fine trumpet player. And, um, and then on to high school where it was uh, Milo Winter and Don Downs, both trumpet players. Uh, Don Downs gave me uh, private lessons all through high school. So uh, that was my, my start. And I never, um, I never deviated from wanting to play the trumpet. I remember mm. at one point there was an op opportunity for me to play baritone or, or, or trombone or something because we needed extra players sure. in the band. And I, I just, nope, I don't want to do that. That's not <laughs> what I want to do. Um, so I've always been pretty, uh, I just have heard that instrument. The sound of the trumpet is, is my favorite. Yeah, so just, uh, just was it literally just from all of your the people you were looking looking up to playing it, or was there something about the sound itself that just drew you? I think it was and more hooked the, to you and guess. Yeah, I think it was more the sound yeah. itself. To be honest, I think there was something you know whether you think about movies, uh, you know, of my generation, you know, like Star Wars and all the John Williams mm. uh, movie scores, ET, and and those movies that were very popular, um, all have great trumpet parts. Yeah. Um, I remember the the first album um, or, or compact disc I owned, and this was at a time when you know they were it's pretty fresh technology, and mm -hmm. so I received a compact disc player for Christmas, and my uncle took me to the record store, and he said, "I'm going to buy you your first CD." And so we were walking through the the aisles, and and he he played trumpet in in school when he was younger, and so he knew a gentleman named Maynard Ferguson. And he said, I think you're gonna like this guy. This guy's Maynard Ferguson. So I took, that was my first CD. And uh, it was Maynard Ferguson and his, his Big Bop Nouveau band. <laughs> classic, you know, big band music, high screaming. No one can play trumpet like Maynard. That he's yeah. a, anybody who's around the big band world or especially the trumpet world is gonna know Maynard Ferguson. Gotcha. He could play notes higher than anybody else with a sound. I mean, no one could play like him ever huh. then or now. Um, and so that was my first album, and I can remember just playing it over and over <laughs> and over again, and uh, and wanting so much to be able to play like those guys. Yeah. And uh, Maynard Ferguson and Roger Ingram was the lead trumpet player on that album, 
And a fascinating story is that also on that album, this was kind of Maynard's comeback when he, for a while he played with a very small band, um, just saxophone and trumpet and in a rhythm section. But he was always known as a big band trumpet player. Okay. He came up in the, in the Stan Kenton Orchestra. And, mm-hmm. um, so he put together his big band again for this album that I got and uh, the Big Bop Nouveau band. And uh, so it was a big deal that he was bringing his full big band back together and going back on the road. And the saxophone player on that album, one of the saxophone players is a gentleman named Matt Wallace okay. from Omaha. Oh, And right. uh, Matt had toured with Maynard for over 10 years, was the music director of the band. And Maynard was always really great about doing school shows. He would come through the Midwest. I mean, barnstorm and bus tours, you know, the band would come in on, on their big bus and they would play Rapid City. They'd play Mitchell High School. They would play Sioux Falls. That You know, really cool that they would go into school auditoriums. You know, a band that's world famous plays at the Montreux Jazz Festival, the Newport Jazz Festival. I mean, some of the greatest musicians are playing in this band. Wow. They'll still come to South Dakota and North Dakota and do shows for young people, that, you know, guys like yeah, me. absolutely. And in that sax, sax section was Matt Wallace. And I remember seeing him as a high school student. Well, fast forward... Um, to uh, about 15 years ago, I started playing with the Hegg brothers out of Sioux Falls, um, piano players and, and singers. And we started a Christmas show that tours all the time. It's called the Hegg brothers holiday jam. And certainly I'm, some of your listeners are going to know that because sure. we've played in Spearfish, we've yeah. played in Rapid. Um, and in that band, it was me on trumpet and Matt Wallace on saxophone. Oh, cool. They hired Matt Wallace out of That's Omaha. Super cool. So a full circle. Here's this. I'll tell you what, I was so nervous that first I year. you were, man. I was like, Matt Wallace, this is the guy. And he stood in front of the greatest trumpet players of all time for 10 years. Oh, Maynard man. and Roger and Dizzy Gillespie and all these guys that would come play with him. And I'm like, now he's going to stand on the bandstand with me. I mean, I was like, geez, don't. You're shaking. Don't screw up. Um, but Matt's a, he's a, one of the, nicest guys you'll ever meet. That's uh, cool. He has become a really, really good friend, someone I love very much and uh, and a great, great saxophonist. So what an honor to be able to now, you know, still to this day play, um, you know, in, in my professional career. I've probably played uh, as many gigs with Matt Wallace as any other saxophone player, if not wow. more. So that's been, awesome. Yeah, recorded 10 albums with him now. I mean, every year we do an album with the Holiday Jam. Okay. So I've recorded uh, 10 albums with Matt Wallace live on stage. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's a cool story. I, I, uh, I started with trombone when I, when I was in fifth grade, I think is when I first picked it up. And I played it all through college. But I remember a, a chord, trombone quartet come through my school and I'll remember I'll remember it till the day I die like they had you know the tenor and the bass and they did a whole trombone ensemble which sounds kind of weird you know if, if you're not familiar with everything that you can really do with a trombone you right. know but it was and we had two trombones in our band because it was you know Arthur Nebraska like I said you know 100 people <laughs> so yeah. super small and it was me and one other guy and it was it was eye-opening just how far you can go with with any instrument, really, if you take the time and you just keep doing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure as a trombone player, you are you were hearing things, you're like, I never knew you could do that. Oh, it blew I me mean, away. It's like, I, I want to do that. It know? just blew me away. <laughs> the, the fact, the thing I've, I've noticed with anyone, with any instrument that someone plays is uh, getting to a level where you really don't ever make a mistake 
is is it just blows my mind seeing people play at that level. And you know, back to our previous conversation, when you see it happen in person, it, it you just go crazy. Like, how in the world? Yeah. You, know, you know, playing guitar now, when I see people just do a huge lead shred and going lightning fast, and just I don't. How do you even get there? <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you know it's happening, but you're like, is that? that like, no, there's that? there's something in the background. Someone hit play on a CD somewhere, <laughs> right. and this person is just really good at pretending. But I, with with brass instruments, though, it's I think it impresses me. It always impressed me more growing up and everything is just seeing people in in orchestras and in full ensembles and that perform at that level. And one have them some of them have have them memorized and then two they would go from you know high notes to low notes and dynamic changes just were flawless and it just it i just so i told you i moved to omaha my senior year in high school right and that was the first time i was ever in a marching band okay because my, you know small schools we didn't have them out west in nebraska and so I again went there and i signed up for band cuz i you know i did and then after i had signed up i realized that you also are in marching band. It's just kind of one of the things. You're in concert and marching. And for marching, you had to memorize everything. Mm-hmm. They required it. And I had never even been asked to memorize anything before that. We were just in a pep band, you know? And so we just kept the stuff on our things and we'd play them. And uh, that was that was probably my biggest challenge that and learning all the steps that I had to take to make the right formations, oh, you know, but. I can remember that too. Oh, <laughs> that was, I, I. It was not fun. Oh, it was no. not fun. Oh. But here, here I was, I moved into this school and there was all these different kids my age that had been doing this for four years. So memorizing music was cake to them. You know, it was, it was nothing, just what you did. They would spend hours after school and hours during study hall just memorizing and playing and getting with each other and learning. And it was just part of that culture. And it it was eye-opening to me, just the the level of, I guess, even professionalism at that age, that if people really cared about it and really wanted to be the best or be their best at something, they, they put the time in and they just did it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, and what uh, uh, to kind of tie into that story, the, the the other side of that is it's part of an ensemble. So it's not only you know trying to be your best as a musician as a trombone player, but you know you have to be your best ah, in yeah. order to keep up and to not let the others around you down. <laughs> right. You know, Milo Winter would talk about you know how. What would you think of listening to the Star Spangled Banner with only you know seventy five percent of the notes right? You'd, you'd say that's terrible. Yeah, so you'd you, notice. Yeah, you get, so you're in this ensemble that's counting on you to play everything at the best of your ability to not let anybody else down because you're all in it together. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you make a mistake, the band makes a mistake. You know, it's yep. it's it's it reflects on everyone. Well, and they would the accountability was was something, you know, bring that up made me remember this. They it was it was crazy. Like they would know if you hadn't been practicing. Oh, right. And it wouldn't be the teacher that would get on you. It would be your peers. Absolutely. Like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. You know, you should have this by now. Like what are you doing after school? Nothing? Okay. We're getting together and we're gonna work on this for a few hours. Yeah. And it just oh, okay. You know, and here I am, you know, uh, I think my band and Arthur had eighteen people in it, tops, you know, and I moved to 
you know, Omaha at its high school of 3,000, the band itself is, you know, I think there might have been 80 or something kids in it, you know? And uh, it was it was just crazy to me. I, I can't believe that there's people that really devote their time and energy into learning, into mastering the instrument at whatever level they can and at whatever level they're at at the moment. And uh, it's, I mean, it's stuck. You know, I went to college and there wasn't really any, uh, I went to a private school and there wasn't really any band or, or music program there to anything to speak of. And so the trombone slowly faded out of my life. But all of those lessons I learned moved into when, when I picked up the guitar and started doing that more and more. So Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same uh, mental energy you have to expand the same amount of discipline. The same, yeah. I mean, it's very mm -hmm. much like that. I, uh, I think that's why every young person should be part of a musical ensemble at some point mm -hmm. in their education because there is, you know, I mean, maybe you could say there's something similar in sports, uh, you know, the team environment. But I mean, there's just no, there's, there's nothing like being in a music ensemble and having to really. And, you know, pull your weight mm -hmm. and, and work as a group in a way that doesn't happen in any other aspect of life. Yeah, you know, um, and I tell you what, even to this day, I still—that's the one thing that makes me the most nervous, or or that drives me to practice the most—is not letting the other musicians down that I'm on the sure. stage with. I mean, I want the audience to love it too. Right, don't get right. me wrong, but I know the audience is going to be pretty forgiving. Yeah. Um, especially when you get to a professional level, they might not sense all the time when something's not quite right. But I don't want to let those other guys yeah. on stage down. I just I, that's when I feel the worst. If I perform poorly, I'm just thinking, "Wow, these guys were counting on me, yeah. and I didn't do it." Yeah, and that that's who matters when you're at that level because that's obviously that's who you're paying attention to because they're going to know it. But the cool thing is when you get it, like when you nail it, absolutely, especially when you're a kid and you nail it and everybody knows you nailed it and the whole band nails it. There's, there's no, no other feeling like that in the world. Like, and I, so I, we won a state football championship when I was in high school too. And that was fun. Don't get me wrong. Right. But when, when I was in that marching band we would go and we would do uh, contests against other schools and we would, we would go and we would win and and get second or third or whatever. When we when we got done with the song and we knew that we had nailed it, it was we were just going, we'd go crazy. <laughs> you know, you feel so good. Yeah, and I feel like all that effort is what was absolutely worth it. And, yeah, yeah, and, and and think about the time. I mean, yeah, the time is incredible, for, especially in marching band. And I think it's probably even gotten more demanding in the last, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, 10 years or more. Um, you know, when I look at the marching bands in Sioux Falls at like Lincoln High School, it's just the the, the level of playing. You talk about memorizing. I mean, they start memorizing the, the, the spring before the next fall semester. They get that music they have to work on it all summer. I mean, this is not, you know, when I went to high school, we took the summer off. I mean, there really wasn't. We maybe had a band camp mm -hmm. in August or something. But in so many of the high schools today, you are working with your section all summer to memorize the music, to to not only memorize it note for note, but then all of the dynamics, the musical elements. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, wow. so these sections, a buddy of mine is um, one of the section leaders uh, or the coaches, I guess you'd call them, um, at Lincoln for the saxophone section. And so all summer he would meet with these students and coach them, train them. 
um, to, to, on the music. So then when they came together in the fall to learn the steps, to learn the, the marching side of it, the music is just- They already have it. It's ingrained. You show it's up natural. ready. Just play. Man. You know? so. Well, I mean, there's a certain level in anything. If you don't use it, you lose it. And music is, in, in my mind, I mean, obviously with the trombone, like I went to pick one up a few months back because of- a friend of my kids uh, has had the trombone and I was like, man, I don't, I thought I could still at least play smoke on the water or something, you know? <laughs> sure. And it yeah. was, it did not sound, I mean, I knew the positions, I knew where to go, but it did not sound good. Cause you know, your, my, my lips had, were not, had just weren't used to it anymore. Right. You know, but w- with any type of education, it's, you know, when we have a, you know, the public school system is as systemized as it is, you know, music doesn't really flow into that very well. So if you take three months off on anything, especially at that age, I can, ima- I can imagine why that change happened in the past 10 years or so where you're just, now oh, you got to work on this all summer if you want to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's why, um, you know, one of the, the goals with, with so many um, band directors is to figure out how they can get more, uh, students to take private lessons mm-hmm. and, and how they can help students afford private lessons and make sure that that's a, a, you know all students have an equitable opportunity yeah. to study privately because that is so key to be to getting better yeah and to maintaining through the summer you know those students who are really serious and take private lessons oftentimes will do it all summer um, so do you think there's a just an innate interest in it? Or do you, do you think with playing an instrument and, and everything at that level, or do you think there's a certain level where you can be coerced, forced? I don't know if that's the right word, but I mean, have you known anyone that was forced at a young age to play an instrument that fell in love with it and continued with it? Or do you think it was something that just either you're into it or you're not? Yeah, I, uh, I think... I mean, I guess my my opinion would be that at some point early on, you probably have a natural affinity, a talent there. You know, something connects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why I think some students who take, you know, uh, choir or band or something for the first time and, and they try it and they go through a couple of years and it's not their thing, that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, not everyone needs to play an instrument their whole right. life. So I do think there's probably a natural connection at some point, a talent that that you have. But I do think most successful um, performers have gone through a, 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 maybe several times in their lives, but especially as students, times when they lose interest, you know, mm-hmm. and they think, ah, I don't really want to do this anymore. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. And that's where you have, um, you know, that's that's where a really great teacher comes in. Or, or for me, uh, family, you know, yeah. uh, I can remember my folks saying, you're not quitting. You're not going to stop. You're yeah. too good. You've, you you just are too good. You know, there yeah. was a time in high school and I didn't really have a lot of interest. You well, know, you're in I, high school, man. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, every high school kid, especially guys, you know, right. I mean, geez, there's other interests, you know. Right, you start, a lot of other yeah, interests. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I just remember that conversation of, you are going to play. You are going to practice. You know, yeah. I'm your parent. I'm telling you to do that. I mean, it got down to that level. Um, and I think that's where a teacher and especially a, a, a parent does need to recognize that talent and that ability and drive, mm-hmm. you know, help drive, help help push your student or push your child to continue because we all will lose momentum, lose interest. But some of us, you know, um, 
we need to we need to get that extra push to keep going. Yeah, well, and just being forward thinking. You know, at that age, you're not forward thinking on anything. You no. know, and, and you you can't see you know a month down the road, let alone five to ten years. And man, what when you get to that point, we man, I should have kept up with that. Because I even now, like, man, I should have kept up with the trombone. I enjoyed it. You know, I absolutely did, and I could probably get back into it at some point. But there's always that level of regret in anything that I just stopped doing. And when you're that age, you, you just you don't have the ability yet to see that. I mean, I shouldn't say n- some kids do, but it's rare. I think it's rare. It's I agree. Incredibly I think rare. your average high schooler is not thinking about, well, you know, when I'm 30, I, uh, you right. know, I mean, when I'm 30 uh, sitting at home, uh, you know, I want to uh, just be able to noodle on this or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm again, once I say this a lot, but I had teachers and parents that, that didn't let me stop even, yeah. you know, and encouraged me to do more. And, I went to college and again had a, just an, an amazing um, a group of mentors that 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 really pushed me and said, "You can be better, you know. Don't mm-hmm. let this be enough. Keep working." Um, so uh, you know now now here I am today and I and I, you know I, I consider myself a professional musician. I mm-hmm. make a part of my living by playing the trumpet. Certainly not the only way I make a living, and um, but it it it's. It's work. I mean, it's it yeah, really is yeah. work. It's not just fun. Right. I have fun playing. Don't get me wrong. Of course. It's not like you know that you've had this as a musician. Oh, you have so much fun playing. I mean, why <laughs> why do we have to pay you? You know, you just love to do it. You know. Right. I mean, no, but I'm a professional. I've worked hard right. for this. Um, but you know, I have demands. I have like I have my horn here. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not playing in Rapid City. I don't have any gigs this week while I'm here. But I have to bring it because I know that if I don't maintain, if I don't keep working. Yeah. Next week, when I do have to do a recording session, mm-hmm. I'm going to be bad. So I got to, I mean, so there's that level of discipline that I have to maintain because I know it's a job now. Yeah. You know, is it a daily thing? Like, do you pick it up daily and oh, go yeah. through like a regimen of things or is it just uh, daily? It's, it is sort of a regimen, although it's not, it's, it's that changes sure. sometimes depending on time. I mean, if, if I know I only have 30 minutes in the hotel room, I might do certain things. If I'm at home and I have two hours, it's, it's going to be a different regimen. But yeah, it, it really is a daily thing. And, and if I go uh, more than a couple of days, it's it's it takes a long time to get back. Really? Yeah. You yeah. notice that at that even even a few days, like you notice yeah. a, a dip in just quality. Uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. You know, I think especially um, endurance. You know, sure. Maintaining okay. uh, the quality. On top of endurance, so maintaining a quality for a longer time. Yeah. So if I hadn't played for a week and you said play me one song right now, I could probably play it really well and sound mm-hmm. great. But if you said go now out and do what you normally would have to do at a job, mm-hmm. you know, and play for two hours, it would you know that that last half of the the job would be eh, you know sure what, what happened? My I don't can't feel my face anymore. <laughs> right. But uh, so it is definitely a discipline. I think, especially for a brass player, you know, you remember mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think every musician has to maintain a certain m- muscle memory, mm-hmm. um, but especially brass musicians. If you don't keep up with it, you just can't play. Well, with the, with the guitar, it's it's uh, muscle memory and then the callousness on my fingers. Yeah, right. like if I let those fade, yep. and it, you, I can tell. Like if I go a week. And I haven't picked it up, you know. I've just been kind of working on lyrics or, or learning different things throughout the day, and and then I go to pick it up and I will play for an hour, an hour and a half, 
it's like, oh, okay, got to rebuild these up, you know? Yeah. But with the trombone, I remember when I first started, my my lips felt fat when I was done, like playing for half an hour. Like, oh, what? I just gave myself fat lips, you know? Yeah. And then slowly uh, over time, the more I played it, that that happened less and less and less, you know? Yep. Uh, was well, it, was, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I now have this kind of permanent mark on my lip that maybe it would go away if I didn't play for a year <laughs> or something, but now there's a line that's always there. You like know? if you were to grow a mustache, it wouldn't grow right there it, it, and keep it open? Yeah, exactly. There's just this little <laughs> ring there, you know, just, I think it's, it's maybe even dead skin cells. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, that's, I guess, one of the hazards. But I was going to say that I, I, a good buddy of mine that plays bass, Andrew Reinhardt, talks about that callus yeah. part of it. He plays the upright bass. Okay. And, you know, if you don't keep those calluses up, I've seen him at a gig where all of a sudden, it's, you know, his fingers are all bloody. He'll, yep. have, he'll have blood on the, on the you know, the neck of the instrument. And yep. because the your fingers will break open. And I think, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and you're like, oh man, he's super hardcore. It's like, well, actually he just didn't practice the he way did, he should have before. He didn't before. practice enough, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he didn't put the work in. Yep. Was, there, was there a time, like a switch that happened where you really started to identify yourself as a trumpet player versus it being, I play the trumpet? Because I've, I've noticed that that it's a mentality thing with people where it's either a part of their identity or it's a hobby that they do. And was that is that was that ever something that you've experienced or something you even thought of that way before? Yeah, I, I have thought of that. Maybe not in exactly those terms, but I know there was there really was a switch for me after I graduated from college, um, and I started playing more professionally in Sioux Falls. And probably for me, it was when I started playing with a project called the Jazz Diversity Project. It's a product of the Sioux Falls Jazz and Blues Society. Okay. And it's a five piece for professional jazz ensemble that travels around and introduces American jazz to school kids. Oh, cool. So we'll do all school assemblies and we uh, we created a program that that dovetails with American history because really jazz and American history are one and the same. I mean, mm -hmm. those two are, they overlap. Definitely. And so we would explore topics that students would be learning in social studies or American history class, but from the lens or through the lens of jazz. Oh, wow. And um, so we have now played for over 65,000 South Dakota young people. Oh my goodness. We played in, I would say, I'm, Pretty confident we've played in every county, in every reservation, from Buffalo to Ulrichs to um, Bison to Wakanda to Castlewood and all the cities in between. Um, Dakota Dunes down and right by, the, by Iowa there. And uh, it was during that time, I think, where I, I, more and more people would recognize me from playing the trumpet than anything else. You know, they just started to know, you know, and even in my day, you know, my artist, uh, administrative professional career, mm -hmm. I would meet people and they would know me more through music than anything else. They'd go, oh yeah, I met you or I, I've heard about that program or yeah, you were on stage. Wow. And so at some point there, you know, I'd say four or five years after graduating from college, that's kind of when it clicked. I was, you know, more and more people would recognize me from being on stage than anything else. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I've... <laughs> It's a little humbling at times because you're like, you know, now I, I really 
want to represent myself well in that mm -hmm. environment. And so it drives you to even be better. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, you know, I, I've had a, um, I talked to Jamie Lynn. She lives in Spearfish. You probably know her. Oh, very well. yeah. yeah. She's, she's one of the best. She's a good, good friend. She's been on, I'm in a band called the JAS Quintet. Okay. She was featured on our most recent album. Gotcha. And we played on one of her albums. Uh, so. You were the ones that played on that album. Okay. Yes, yeah, Spars. That's yeah. right. Gotcha. Nice work. Nice thank, work. Hey, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but she she's done that a few times. I've I've talked with her. She's played at some schools, and I have another friend of mine named Max Hay. I think he lives in up in Washington or Montana now. But he's done that a few times. He'll you know he's he travels. He's a traveling musician. He'll go and he'll play uh, for schools and that. And there's a lot of programs out there, especially for people looking to. I don't know if I don't know if that program specifically was uh, was a, was a paying program for you guys, or if it was just sponsored for the schools or anything like that. But there's a lot of opportunities out there for artists to do things in the education realm of music that gets, it's easy to forget, you know, because you're not in school all the time when you, when you, once you get out, you know, you don't think about it. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in, in a lot of my colleagues also teach privately, right? They're those sure. private teachers that I talked about earlier and, and, and are so, in it's such an important part of that ecosystem for young musicians training and bringing up the next professionals because they're they're studying in the shadows of these professionals that, yeah. that are out doing the work um, I've taught some privately but I generally have stayed away from it just because my schedule it's just it's been tricky I travel a lot mm -hmm. um, so uh, you know I remember though when we started the jazz diversity project it was specifically um, it was going to be, it was just going to be one concert in a Sioux Falls school. And it was this idea that you talked about, all these kids out there um, don't necessarily have that direct uh, influence, that in-person, that real-life experience with jazz music. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, we're now at least two generations removed from when jazz was really, really popular. And yeah. you'd hear it everywhere, on yeah. the radio and everything else. So we started talking we need to get some of these local professionals into the schools to, to inspire and at least inform young people. Otherwise, the music goes away. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you know, young people don't hear jazz, I mean, what are the chances they're going to grow up and really dig it? You know? Right, right. And so we said, let's just go and do one show in the Sioux Falls schools. We'll just do a performance, you know, and see if they'd want to have us. Well, there's a long story there, but it blossomed in pretty quickly into this jazz diversity project where we pulled in... Um, a, a social studies teacher, the fine arts uh, administrator for the Sioux Falls School District, and we developed a, uh, a program based on core curriculum standards. And these wow. teachers helped us create this program that uh, that that tied into the curriculum that they were teaching students in class. And so it was such a huge success, and, and um, it's. It's a professional gig for the musicians, very professional. Um, we get paid per service, um, per DMs, hotel, mm -hmm. you know, all that. But the schools get it for free because the Sioux Falls Jazz and Blues Society has done such a great job of uh, of, of soliciting fundraising, you yeah. know, doing sponsorships and, and grants and things. So the schools, there was never a barrier to entry. We never had to call up you know, a small school in Castlewood and say, yeah, you're going to have to come up with $1,500. Right, right. Uh, they, we just had said we want an hour of your time. Yeah. And we'll come play for your kids. Well, I imagine that tying it into, you know, intertwining it with the curriculum had to 
a tribute to its sustainability because it's not just, hey, it's a show. It's 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 also an education and a learning experience for the kids as well. That's what's something they're already in continuing to do. Uh, you know, if if you if you separate it a bit, it's it's I don't know. It's almost what's the word I'm looking for? Like latching on to something and sustaining because of it. Not that it's in a bad way, but right. Like, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was that was a tactical decision because we all knew too well that you know teachers and especially administrators like principals are so busy mm-hmm. um and there's especially during that time of you know the you know when the education system changed and there were all those standardized tests you know in the uh, mid 2000s and um <laughs> you know in the the performance uh metrics and and, and so to call up a principal and just say, "Hey, we got this really cool jazz band that wants to come play for your students." That really what you know drops some, very low on the priority yeah, list. Some principals yeah. were like, "Cool," but others were like, "Yeah, we'll see." And if anything, they would say, "I think that'd be great for our jazz kids at the high school to hear, or our music students to hear." Well, we wanted the program to influence and impact all students. Yeah, because we thought, you know, we want every young person in South Dakota to know the names of Louis Armstrong. Yeah, and And absolutely. Duke Ellington and Count Basie and Charlie Parker and Ella Fitzgerald. You know, kids in general music were learning about Beethoven and Bach mm-hmm. and Eurocentric, these great European classical artists. And we thought, that's crazy. Why would a kid know the name Bach before they know the name, you know, Louis Armstrong. Right. <laughs> that doesn't make sense in America. Not at all. Um, so that was really our, our goal. I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Um, and yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was it was a really obvious disconnect to me yeah, as absolutely. I thought about it. And, and so in order for us to be invited in to play for all the students of school-wide assembly, we realized it needed to be something based on curriculum, based on, uh, you know, a principal would say, this is good for our students beyond just the a musical experience. This also impacts what they are required to learn. Yeah, we can use their time effectively to both learn and hear your music, but also to to focus on core curriculum topics. That's awesome. And so it really worked well. And since then, we have just I'd say ninety five percent of the shows have been for full school assemblies, and not it, just student, not just music students. And it shakes up their education a bit, you know, which it. For me, any anything that stands out when I'm trying to learn something, I'm gonna remember. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> so that's really cool. Yeah, that's and how long? How long has that been going? Uh, t- uh twelve years, I think. Twelve now. years. Yeah, sixty-five thousand kids in twelve years. That's yeah. amazing. And a lot of miles in a in a white van. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, we traveled all around the state. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. I'm it, sure. A cool story about that program. Um, the Sioux Falls Jazz and Blues Society started a uh, jazz camp. I don't know, probably seven, eight years ago now. Um, so they invited students from all across South Dakota that were really into jazz to come to Sioux Falls during the Jazz Fest week and be in this camp where they would, you know, have a whole week. You know, we've all heard of like a music camp, a mm-hmm. all-state music camp or something yeah. like that. Well, this was just focused on jazz. So we were invited, the, the musicians that played these school shows were invited to come in the first day of the camp and perform for the young student, you know, the, the campers. And uh, the... Piano player Jeremy Haig, who who really leads the the show, the the Jazz Diversity Project, does the educating. Um, he asked the students, uh, the, the the camp students, I suppose there was probably sixty there, maybe. He asked them, how how many of you have heard us play, you know, JDP in your schools at one point? 
well over half raised their hand. Oh, cool. And so that was like full circle. We were like, all right, this is great. This yeah. is working in, on some level. Yeah. Because these students are experiencing this at, you know, in sixth, seventh or eighth grade. And not a, it's not just us, but somewhere, I think we're helped firing that spark, you know, mm -hmm. getting that spark going. And then they take it and they want to be more immersed and learn to, be, you know, learn to play jazz. Yeah, and now absolutely. here they are at this jazz camp, you know? Absolutely. So, uh, anyway. That is cool. And they remembered you and- Yeah. yeah. That's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, it's nice to hear that things like that are, are happening and continuing to happen because it's, it's like you said, if you don't hear it, you lose it. And, and if, if jazz gets lost or whatever form of art gets, stops being taught and stops being uh, presented to the world, it, it fades into, you know, the annals of history. And I, I don't know how big of a worry there is for that with, with music because it's so easy to find music these days with the internet and that. But like you said, if, if there's nothing that draws you to it or something that is presented to you in a way you don't necessarily go looking for it yourself. Right. So yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. And I think it, it, that's one aspect and just the connection that jazz, the art form of jazz has with, with our nation. Yeah. It's so important. I mean, really it is maybe one of the greatest artistic gifts this country has given to the entire world. Yeah. You can go anywhere on this planet and hear someone trying to play like Charlie Parker. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, anywhere. And what's cool about it is it's a language. I could take my horn and show up in, you know, Bulgaria tomorrow. Yeah. And not be able to talk, not have anything else that we know is in common. But if I walked into a jazz club and heard them playing, you know, um, whatever, Now's the Time by Charlie Parker, I could play it, you know, yeah. and we could join in and say, oh, yeah, you know that one, I know that one. So it is truly a, 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 an international language at this point. Yeah. And I think every young person in this country, when they're learning about the history of the United States, needs to understand that this art form that has that has spread throughout the world and continues to be a, a creative spirit started here. Yeah, you know that's cool. That the the trombone ensemble, maybe it wasn't them. I'm trying to remember now because as you were saying that this memory popped in my head that I haven't thought about in years. We had a jazz group come to our school and this would have been, this would have been in, in Arthur, Nebraska. So again, 30 kids, sixth grade through 12th grade, small, small school. And they, they played jazz and they invited some of us to come down and do a solo. And uh, I went in with my trombone and I said, I don't, I don't know the song. And they're like, it doesn't matter. Here's, here's the key. Here's any of these notes you can play. And I remember doing it, and I'm sure it sounded horrible, but I, I thought it sounded awesome because I, I can't screw up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was great. Isn't that great? <laughs> it was so cool. It's fun that you loved it because I remember my first experience improvising uh -huh. was I was so scared because, you know, think about it. Our most, anyway, students in the, in the kind of formal music training we, we, we take, mm -hmm. the first thing we're taught is, when you see this note on the page, you play it. When you right. see this rest, you don't play. When you see this rhythm, you play it this way. And if you don't, if you if if you don't do what you see there, you're you're wrong. It's you're wrong. making a mistake. You're right. you know, and you learn that from the day one. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's in being a piano, you know, young piano student or a young uh, band student, 
And, and that's so important. You have to learn how to read music. You need to understand music yeah. theory. You need to understand the scales and the key centers of your horn. I mean, that's all very important. But oftentimes we neglect to teach the side of the brain that just makes up music and, and you know, and says, come up with something. Be yeah. creative. What melodies are flowing through your head right now? Right. Learn how to translate that into audible sound exactly. for people. Yeah. And so then the first time, you know, you're maybe not till, because another thing is, you know, a lot of uh, young musicians don't really get that first chance to perform in a jazz setting or a jazz style <laughs> till oftentimes high school, if they're mm -hmm. fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, and so that first time, now you've been playing your instrument for, you know, six years or more or, and and you're pretty good and you can read music and you've learned your scales and you know, you've played all this great band music. You've done the solo and ensemble contest where, you know, the, the, the judge is marking when you miss a note. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And so you just are drilled into playing it perfectly. And then you're in jazz band that first time and your director says, yeah, now this is a blue solo. It's an F yep. and you can do whatever you want. And you just are frozen. Ah, uh, what? I don't know what to what? do. Tell me what to do, you know? Oh, <laughs> so. man. Looking back on it now, knowing, you know, what I've come to learn over the years of just being a musician, like the the guys that came to play, like they were impressive to just be able to flow with a bunch of kids that didn't know what they were doing, but keep the song moving and keep it all on track. And like, man, yeah. I can't believe I forgot about that memory. Thanks for thanks for helping prompt that back into my skull. Well, that's great. It makes me think of the well, all the school shows we've played in towns very much like yours. Yeah, you know, all across South Dakota, where it's you know thirty kids total. You know, in some of these schools, we'll play for you know less than fifty kids K through twelve. Yeah, and it's just like amazing to me. Well, and I'll never—I mean, I'll never be able to find them or remember their names. But I mean, I'll remember that experience, you know. And like I said, even if I thought I forgot it, it's in there somewhere, you know. I just need the right right conversation, I guess. Mm -hmm. But so, how do you let's let's talk a little bit about Arts South Dakota because um, what got you into being one of the? Well, what's your official position, I guess? Executive director. The executive director. Yeah. Okay, so how do you go from I'm just playing trumpets, you know, doing some shows and that to um, kind of leading, uh, you know, the big arts movement really in, in South Dakota? Yeah, it's a well, it was a, an organic, um, you know, like so many of us in our careers, you know, um, just you, you you seize opportunity, I guess, or you know, or being open to opportunity is so important. Um, whether that's a career in the arts or, or music or a career in banking or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. um, being um, open and, and not scared of trying something new. Um, but for me, so I graduated from South Dakota State University and uh, moved to Sioux Falls and um, did a, my, my degree was in music merchandising. So really what that is, is it's a com combination of, it's a, Bachelor of Science degree, and you learn all the the you go through all the music coursework and um, do your recitals and all that good sure. stuff. But then you also do some more business oriented classes, marketing, economics, gotcha. accounting. You know some of those types of skills. Fun, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, one of the requirements was an internship, and uh, so the year I graduated, my internship was at the Washington Pavilion of Arts and Science in Sioux Falls. And it was the year it opened, 1999. And uh, the, uh, the, 
anybody from around Sioux Falls will know that facility. It's really a, a, the center for the arts. It's an old high school downtown Sioux Falls. And uh, it has a, a big, huge performing arts venue, a concert hall, it has an art gallery and a science uh, museum. And uh, so the summer of 99, I was an intern when that facility opened and what a great experience to be standing on the steps the first time they opened that door wow. uh, to, to the city of Sioux Falls. And so I worked there for three years and then I was hired by the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra to be their first operational director, the ops director. Okay. Um, as that organization grew, they needed someone that was really the, oh, I, I would say the, you know, it's sort of the, the production manager, if you think of it that way, you know, mm -hmm. someone that's working with the, the orchestra musicians, the personnel director, the librarian, the stage manager, the venue, all of the folks that bring, that, that make the concert happen. I kind of just made sure they were all in sync, if you will. Okay. Um, so I worked there for three uh, three seasons, and then I moved to South Dakota State University and worked in the Alumni Association um, office and did a lot of marketing and um, events, not unlike the uh, conference we did today, we do big events. Mm -hmm. um, and, and all three of those though were nonprofits, you know, okay. working within the nonprofit uh, the, Ecosystem, the nonprofit sure. uh, uh, business model of of you know a board of directors and, and, yeah. and the yeah. fundraising and all that goes with the nonprofit. Yeah. So after that, then I started working uh, for the first time in my career in the for profit world uh, for an advertising agency, a boutique advertising agency in Sioux Falls called Fresh Produce. And uh, anybody in in Sioux Falls will know that uh, company uh, really creative um, marketing agency, full service, you know, websites, video, media buying, graphic design. And uh, I was one of the account executives. So I worked with the owner, he and I, there's two owners and one was the creative director, the other was uh, sort of the accounts director. So the, the, the two of us were account executives and were responsible for, you know, generating new business and, and client relations. Sure. and. Um, and so, you know, a whole different set of skills from working in that world. Um, and it was at that time I was serving on the South Dakota Arts Council, so our state's governmental arts organization. Okay. Yeah. And I was one of the, basically they have a, a, an advisory board and I was on that board. And one of my fellow board members is a gentleman named Brian Bondi, who is a, uh, uh, He's a consultant, runs a fundraising consultancy and a, a nonprofit consultancy business out of Sioux Falls. And he said, hey, we need to, we're, we're starting this organization that became Arts South Dakota. We're starting this nonprofit grassroots advocacy organization. And, and he and, and three other board members um, had just come together and they said, we're looking for someone to run it. And he said, would you ever be interested in that? And you know, so it's just one of these, you know, it's, I was just talking to some some young uh, kind of uh, uh, arts administration uh, professionals at the conference, sort of the the next generation, um, and was talking about the the importance of building relationships mm -hmm. and just being open to conversation, right? Um, because you never know where it's going to take. Yeah, you. absolutely. And so there, Brian said, "Hey, would you be interested in this?" And you know, I hadn't really thought much about anything quite like that. And I said, "Well, yeah, I really would." You know, I. I, I felt like I'd prepped, 
I had some really important experiences with these previous uh, jobs. Mm -hmm. And of course I had a, a passion for the arts and I understood the importance of the arts in South Dakota. And I've always been one of those um, proponents, one of those uh, advocates for, you know, if you can stay here and do your, 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 your creative passion. Yeah, yeah. Instead of moving to the, you know, Minneapolis or Denver or New mm -hmm. York or wherever. And, and I, I, I think that's a great path for those who want to take that as well. I nothing wrong with sure, moving away. Sure, sure. But I've always thought if you have some talent and, and you want to be an artist in South Dakota, you should. Mm -hmm. because we need that here too. So this opportunity to start this arts advocacy organization really uh, appealed to me because of, of that attitude of we want to build the South Dakota art scene. We want to have a great uh, environment and a great creative community right here in South Dakota. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess from there, it's just uh, it started with me Um and a board of four and, and, and a lot of hard work and fundraising. And uh, quickly we, we hired an events uh, and a program specialist um, and then uh, named Sherry Cosell. Uh, she was my second colleague or, or I should say my first employee, my first colleague. And then uh, about a year after that, I had the opportunity to hire Andrew Reinhardt's, okay, who's been my longtime friend and musical colleague, but he became our second employee at Art South Dakota. So we have a team of three and um, it's just an incredible team. Team uh, of three and all the stuff that you guys are doing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it really <laughs> so is. Amazing. And it's all them. I mean, I, I really give them the credit because, um, you know, I, I, I helped kind of kick things off, but then Sherry and Andrew, their expertise and their their ideas, that's what I love about our team is everyone's very creative, you mm -hmm. know, and is always offering up new ideas. What if we did this? What if we did that? You know. And, and that's fun. Well, that's what's one th one of the cool things about art is it's if you if you find the right people that are passionate about it, it can it can quickly grow organically where wherever you're at in the world. And when so when I first started playing out and and writing my own music and performing, uh, I slowly started meeting other people that played and wrote their own music and performing. And within a few months, I realized a lot of them didn't know each other. And it got into this, we're like, how do you guys not know each other? There's, there can't be that many people out here that are writing music, you know? And, and uh, so we started the, the South Dakota Songwriters Group. And, uh, you know, we do uh, songwriting rounds and we perform and everything like that. And within a few years, I think, all of a sudden there, were, there was this group of 80 regular songwriters that we would go through. And it was, it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but that was one of the things, that you, going back to kind of what you said before, like if you if you can perform your art here and build up an art culture in South Dakota, then do it. Yeah. You know, obviously there's, there's valid reasons to go to what people would call music meccas, you know, in, in uh, stuff that I'm doing, people would think of Nashville or Austin or stuff like that, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, uh, but I always kind of had this idea like, man, what if like South Dakota had a place, whether it's in the Black Hills or somewhere that people thought of when they thought of, songwriting and the thought of music, you know, and like Nashville and Austin's had to start somewhere, you know? And, uh, but I think the thing with, that I've learned and I've noticed is that that takes a lot of energy and that takes a lot of time. And then a lot of just dedicated people willing to stick it out in the long term. You know, I mean, that's not something you create in a day. You know? No. You're looking at a generation of you just yep. focus in and plant roots, you know? 
and your grandkids might be able to experience the fruit, you know, but you gotta, someone's gotta make the choice to do it, so. Well, that's, it, it, that's inspiring to, to hear because you're right. It's, it, 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 it is a, a, a long, long road. Yeah. And I think we've always had great artists, great musicians, great songwriters in South Dakota. Um, you know, I, I had the privilege of being part of a, a Badger Clark, you know, the, the poet Badger Clark, part mm -hmm. of a, a group um, that meets regularly and um, uh, is, is influenced by, by Badger Clark and that's kind of their inspiration. And, uh, you know, we've always had really creative people in the state. I think what we're seeing now is maybe a realization that it's not just something that has to be on the side. Mm -hmm. It's not just something that I do kind of for fun or I'm, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, it's something I do with my neighbors or, you know. <laughs> right, right. It, 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 we're starting to maybe understand that we really, you know, typical Midwestern attitude, right? Of uh, course. Uh, like, oh, I'm not that good. <laughs> absolutely, you know? absolutely. And, and I think we're starting to see more and more <laughs> South Dakotans say, you know what, I, I am, I, can, I do have something that I yeah. really want to offer and I want to do it here. You know, Jamie Lynn's a great case. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she could have moved to Nashville or Austin and just been wildly successful. Mm -hmm. Instead, she stayed home and is wildly successful. Yeah, She's absolutely. amazing. Um, and so I, I think I think you're right. I think it's just that it, we need young people to see more examples of that. Mm -hmm. People like you and say, I can do that. I can do that. I want to stay home. I want to be the next guy that follows, you know, well, that was, it was encouraging you a few years back. I started to get more and more contacts from people saying, hey, you know, I would love to be a part of your songwriters rounds that you do and everything like that. And I hadn't, for the first time, like I, I didn't know who they were. And I look and they're 10 years younger than me. I'm like, oh, well, this is cool. Because when this started, when I started kind of rolling through this eight years ago, you were still in high school, <laughs> you know? So I didn't would have never known you, you know? Yeah. So it's it's neat to see as people grow up and and as they start to recognize, and I think that goes with anything, like if something's going to grow where you're at, opportunity is, is what's going to make it happen. Like you can be good and you can have the talent, but if you have no opportunity to to do anything with it, it's going to die or you're going to have to leave, right. you know? Yep. And, and, you know, organizations like what you're doing and, you know, the, the few venues and places that I've worked with that have allowed us to, to play and do what we've done, just providing that opportunity has, has made all the difference, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a really good and an important point to make is so many individuals and very small businesses or organizations believe in this and are making it happen in their communities. I'm, uh, you know, the, 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 the truth of, of, you know, living in the state is there's not a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, so many people uh, um, have to juggle and, and dedicate to, to a lot of endeavors, you know, I mean, and so one of the things we've been doing during the pandemic at Art South Dakota is trying to encourage and to remind folks that you have to stay um, connected to your local arts community and you need to continue to financially support them as well. Mm -hmm. This doesn't just happen um, without some financial support. It doesn't yeah. happen for free. And uh, so we're seeing more of that. I think we're seeing more uh, corporate partners saying, we want the arts to be a reason to live in South Dakota. We yeah. want the arts to be a reason to visit South Dakota. 
Uh, we're seeing that within our Department of Tourism. I'm so, um, uh, I'm just so pleased and excited to see, you know, they've launched the State of Create campaign where they're really starting to focus on this idea. When you come to South Dakota as a tourist, one of the f primary reasons, one of the, one of the reasons it's worth making the trip here is our arts, mm -hmm. you know, our art community, the creative uh, experiences, the cultural experiences that you could only get in South Dakota. Yeah. And it's really cool to see tourism starting to focus on that. Um, and so I think there is that, 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 that subtle shift of we can hang our hat on this, we can invest our money in this and, and it's gonna pay off. Yeah, well, I, I'd be curious to see like cities like Nashville, uh, and, and that is always my my ref, frame of reference when I think through this. Like, how much of their city's uh, economic development is tied into the arts? Like, if you took all of the music out of Nashville, what would happen to that city? I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's possible that they, they would be fine. Maybe it's a small portion of what they're doing, but it certainly wouldn't be known for what it is. You know, as far as tourism and traveling and people going to visit it. You know, and and there's that there's that level of I think a lot of that is where the, you know, the the corporate part of the city and the tourism side of the city they realize that there's a there's a valid partnership in connecting with the arts and growing that and tying it into where when you think of Nashville or you think of Austin or New York even you know and Seattle's another one um, you think of you think of art you think of music. Uh, and I'm sure I'm missing a lot of other cities where people think of when they think of music, you know? Uh, and that's something, I don't know exactly how to create a culture like that. That's That's been one of my biggest questions as I've been doing what I've been doing. And one of the reasons I started the podcast was just to collect the stories of all the artists and people around here, you know, just to, um, I don't know, record the history of everyone, everyone that is creating and doing stuff. And uh, but I don't know how to get a culture shift where your businesses and your societies and your, um, you know, council members or whatever it is in the city recognize the need to partner with the artist and and again, like you were talking about, uh, financially support you know the arts in their area and realize that that's just as valid as you know making sure our our water and electricity stay working. You yeah. Because right. it shapes who we are as people. It does. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and yeah, let's face it, we know that um, Nashville didn't happen free, <laughs> free right. of charge for, without any money. <laughs> right. I mean, right. you have to invest in that. And I think the, um, you know, there's a couple points that I was thinking about as you were, you were talking about the creating the, the culture and the, and, and the ecosystem that is friendly to creativity and mm -hmm. in a, in a creative movement. And, and, I think part of it is making sure you, you use the right message um, when you're talking to specific um, audiences. So, you know, when it's a tourist message, you know, or tourism type of audience, you're going to talk about visiting and, and uh, experiencing culture that you won't find anywhere else, you know. Mm. Um, seeing Crazy Horse or Mount Rushmore in the awe of that, yeah. those pieces of art, you know, and just that's that's the reason you come to see South Dakota. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if you're talking to, um, you know, a young family, I think education is such a key uh, metric or a, 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 a reason that they want to live someplace. Do they have a strong education system and does that education system offer mm -hmm. 
does the school district offer experiences in the arts? You know, I mean, so that's a different audience. And then when we talk about, um, you know, policymakers and, um, you know, governmental leaders, there's so many um, arguments for, for pro-arts policy. I mean, just, you know, uh, the, the, the type of community that you want to create and, and the, and the, um, uh, the, the diversity of, of celebrating, you know, mm-hmm. the, celebrating the diversity of your community. But one of the things we talk about with policymakers, and it's interesting, we haven't talked about this at all yet in our conversation. Uh-huh. It's all been up to this point, what it should be in terms of the arts, the, the creative, the, the human experience that we get from it. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking to a policymaker, then you can really talk about the economic impact of the arts. It's a sure. great way for someone that is making policies, policy decisions. It's a great way for them to defend a decision to invest in the arts because it's not just this intrinsic feel-good beauty, you know, some of these um, subjective uh, reasons that everyone can say, you know, are different. You know, we all have different uh, viewpoints on that, but when you talk about economic reasons, it's it's science. It's it's hard facts that investing in the arts is investing in your local economy. Yeah, absolutely. Strong arts uh, investment leads to a strong economy. Uh, in the Black Hills alone, you know, Americans for the Arts did a study a few years ago, um, the Arts and Economic Prosperity Study, and they looked at just the nonprofit-based arts organizations in uh, the Black Hills region. And their study determined that that um, that economy was a hundred and fifteen million dollar a year economy, just nonprofit arts. Oh my goodness! Generated a hundred and fifteen million dollars worth of just economy, the Black Hills, just in the Black Hills, Holy just for a year. Wow! And that was five years ago. Now the pandemic, you know, everything's sure. changing yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah. But you know, once we get back on track, we know it's only growing. Oh my goodness! So if you talk about investing, you know, shop local. There's nothing more local than the arts. Yeah. When you invest in local arts, you're, or when you invest in the arts, you're investing in the local economy because you can't do this work elsewhere. Yeah. You know, when, when you want to invest in a symphony orchestra, you're investing in musicians there Yeah. in your community or whatever it may be because mm-hmm. you're not going to, you, you're not uh, importing that work. It's, it's happening only locally. So... Uh, it's 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 really there is a, an easy financial argument to make for investing in the arts, but it's also you know in our work we also are very careful and and, and uh, bold about saying it shouldn't be about dollars because right. it's so much more important than yeah. the almighty dollar. But if you got to make a decision on on the arts and you need a good reason to, well. Well, and to people outside of that world, you know, they need they they that's how they look at things, you yeah. know, especially when you're when you're making laws or writing budgets and everything like that. That's literally your job is to look at the dollar, yep. <laughs> you know. Right. So I get it, and having but again having that argument, like you said, you could pull you could pull the data from anywhere, and I don't think you'd ever find anything where you they invested in the arts and it went south right. for the place. Yeah. Maybe you could, but I I'd be hard pressed to. I feel like I would put money on that that you wouldn't. I feel like that'd be all right. <laughs> I haven't heard any stories like I that. I feel so pretty yeah, confident. Me too. Me too. Me too. So. Do you, so with all that you've been doing, like just hearing your story and kind of everything you did before you got to Art South Dakota and that, um, how have you seen the arts in our state 
grow? And do you have any vision for its future? Yeah, big, big That's question. That's a loaded one, yeah, man. Big question. Well, no doubt they've grown. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, just even where I live in Sioux Falls, just the ever-expanding um, organizations that support the arts. Um, there's always there's always new, you know, there's a, a new a professional dance company that started. There's um, a new, uh, uh, you know, citywide um uh, choir that has been created oh, wow. in Sioux Falls. That's that's it's really about building um, equity and access so everyone can be part of this kind of community choir. I mean, so just in in this time since I've been at Art South Dakota, I've watched um, new organizations take shape mm-hmm. and, and and make their mark and, and fill voids that we've had in our community. Um, there's been new theater companies that have started in Sioux Falls, and and you can say this across all of South Dakota. And uh, so I, I know that we're going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, funding for the arts is growing in the state, um, both uh, on, a, on a state level. I mean, our state is investing more mm-hmm. in the arts every year through the tourism tax and, and the way that was set up to, to uh, uh, as our tourism industry grows, we have more support for the uh, mm. nonprofit arts um, through the South Dakota Arts Council. That's neat. Um, the uh, National Endowment for the Arts, uh, you know, our federal uh, agency supporting arts activities, their budget has increased even during this hyper political time. Um, even with a president who has said that he doesn't want to fund it at all, yeah, you know, wants to zero out the budget of our national arts agency. Um, Congress has said, "Well, that's silly. You know, we're it's just not gonna, a lack of understanding. That's like, a that's a totally it. You just know, no idea. <laughs> and, and so, I think people are getting it. You yeah. know, even when something as far out as that, you know, people are saying now, Mr. President, that's not right. Right, we're not going to do that. Yeah, and and so, people are getting that. You know, as we talk about an information age, an information economy." Um, the, the, the spirit of creativity, you know, people that can think creatively, that can solve problems creatively um, is the future. Hmm. And, and, and I think whether you're in a small town in South Dakota or you're in the big city or you're, you know, of New York or you're a, a, a senator in Washington, D.C., you can see that, that yeah. the future is, a, you know, a creative workforce and, and to, in order to do that, we have to encourage and, and, and um, we, we have to uh, we have to uh, establish creativity as a center point or centerpiece of our communities. Um, so, you know, I, and, and as far as the future, man, I tell you what, I, that's such a loaded question. I I think the the probably the the the, the big picture, the big idea is just. Uh, you know, equitable access so that everyone in South Dakota has the ability to experience great art, to experience those moments when the trombone ensemble comes Mm -hmm. to your school and you hear something you've never heard before and has the opportunity to become an artist, to try to to be a creative person, to live live a creative life. Um, and, And, you know, that's... 
technology is helping, you know, that's, that, that's breaking down some barriers in terms mm-hmm. of geography. Um, and, and we're seeing institutions like the South Dakota Arts Council really focus on equitably funding communities and artists across the state. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anybody who says, oh, you know, the, the money from the National Endowment for the Arts is only going to the, the big, you know, the, you know, the Met or the yeah. you know, National Symphony Orchestra or the people that say the South Dakota Arts Council money is only going to Sioux Falls and Rapid City to help the symphony. Mm-hmm. And the, that's not true. Absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think last year, the South Dakota Arts Council made grants to 88% of the counties in the state. Wow. So, I mean, about as close to every county as you're going to yeah. get on in one year. Sure, you know? and, sure. Um, so, uh, you know, we're seeing a, an understanding of, of we have to create this equitable environment where everyone gets access and everyone gets these opportunities. And that is what will then, that's the seed that then grows and, and creates this broader creative community that we don't know what it's going to mm-hmm. look like. You know, there's no way for us to say what that what that is in the future because it it it's you know it leads itself. It it it's uh, you know we have to see what 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 people come up with. What's yeah. the next? You know, Dale Lamphere's dignity. Who has the next dignity that's going to yeah yeah know, be created for South Dakota? We don't know. Yeah, and given like it goes back to that providing the opportunity for that to be created and for that to go on and. Before we before we go here, I did want to ask you, uh, as far as opportunity in in that thought process, as an artist creating things, um, the opportunities provided by Arts South Dakota, um, how do you see that? Or I guess where would an artist go to first get in contact with you and then recognize the opportunities provided by your organization? Uh, great, thanks for asking that. ArtsSouthDakota.org. So A R T S South Dakota spelled out .org is our website. And the first thing I would suggest is joining our mailing list. We send out a weekly arts news email every Monday and it's gonna have a calendar of events of all the arts happenings across the state. It's the only type of uh, weekly news in South Dakota that's just dedicated to the arts. Oh, cool. And, And we'll talk about you know, uh, national headlines, state headlines, local headlines. We talk about our community arts councils. We have a great network of community arts councils in South Dakota. They're really the front lines. Um, over 30 communities have, many of them totally volunteer organizations that are the, 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 the uh, you know, they are the spark, the throughway for the arts. That's how arts are getting into so many of our communities. Um, and, um, uh, this this newsletter also uh, will share opportunities for artists when there's a call for art, when when there's commissions, when there when uh, when there's job openings for professional arts administrators. Uh, we'll make sure we share that information. So if you want to get plugged in to the statewide arts community, go to our website, sign up for our newsletter. The other thing we're trying to do a lot more of in the in the pandemic has really. Um, pushed us, uh, you know, at a faster pace than we had planned to, to offer online webinars, to do a lot more um, uh, online professional development. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we've been doing a lot that relates to arts uh, administrators and, and, and how to best handle leading your organization through these times. But we're also doing more for, for working artists. How do you sell your work online? How do you mm. produce work online, you know, technology related? Um, and we're going to do a whole new series of 
related on marketing, staying creative, tax laws, copyright laws. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a, another way to, to stay engaged and to learn and to meet new people. Um, and then, you know, then as, as soon as it's possible again, we'll start traveling the state and we'll start going into communities and introducing ourselves and meeting people one-on-one and you know, there's just no substitute for that. There's just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. shaking someone's hand. and Yeah, right, absolutely. But the other thing I would offer to, to young artists or someone that's just taking this up in South Dakota, maybe just moved or is just finding their voice, you know, um, metaphorical voice in, sure. in, in a creative world that, or maybe literal voice. Yeah, you know, right. Um, is to check out their local community arts council. In South Dakota, we are so fortunate to have these 30 plus community arts councils. So if you live in Webster, South Dakota, there's a great community-based organization that you can go and be part of and get more connected to the arts scene within your community. Um, so that's really neat because, you know, no one's going to know what's going on in Webster better than the people in Webster. Sure. You know, so that's that's uh, a real asset in South Dakota. If you live in Spearfish, the Matthews Opera House that yeah. you're familiar with, and oh, the yeah. Spearfish Arts Council. That's where you should go, and you're going to meet a lot of people, you know, like you, and, and uh, being part of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, that that's one of the that's one of I would say my first advice to someone if they called me on the phone and said, "Hey, I just moved to South Dakota. I'm a uh, I'm a, a painter or whatever. You know, yeah. what who who should I talk to? Well, where do you live? I live in Yankton. Okay, I want you to call Julie." at the Yankton Area Arts Council. She's the one you should talk to. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. That that's it's it's great. I'm I love that it's statewide and I love that it's it's connected to the level where you have that opportunity where if someone moves in, they can just call and ask, hey, this is where I'm at. How can I get plugged in and get involved? Like that's something that I don't know if a lot of people are aware of or as many people are aware of as they should be. Sure. You know, so yeah. that's that's really, really cool. Um, any, anything you want to finish with uh, we've talked, we kind of ran the gambit here. But yeah, we <laughs> did. It's been is there fun. anything I did not ask you, you wanted to say? Oh, it's been great to talk with you. And it, uh, I, I hope, uh, we'll be back out on the road playing some music soon. Cause normally we'd be in spearfish. Yeah. We maybe could jam on a tune. Yeah. It'd be fun. Yeah. It's, it was nice to actually sit down with you too. Cause like I said, we only met briefly in, in Minnesota that one time. Yeah. That was so, part of the Bush. It was Bush foundation. Yeah. It was, yeah, and right. uh, I think we—I think it might have only been five minutes. Really, it was kind of like a hi, nice to meet you, yeah. and we moved on. But so this was good. I really appreciate you taking but the time, Jim. And case in point of go out and meet people, right? Because <laughs> right. look what happens. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, you never know what you're gonna, what's gonna come out of it. And this was this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. Me too. And and, and anybody listening, my last parting, uh, my my parting uh, ask of our audience is go out and support. You know, yeah. Do whatever you can right now to support your arts community. Donate, buy those virtual concert tickets, whatever it is. But once this thing is over, get out there. You yeah, know, we talked very first about we're missing that. That you know we're we're missing being together in those local experiences of hearing live music or going to gallery openings. So don't forget how much you're missing it right now. So when it does open again, you'll be the first in line. You yeah. know, let's fill those galleries. Let's fill those concert halls. Well, and I promise we're all going to be ready to perform for you. So yeah, that's <laughs> it's exactly going to be great. Well, yeah, you said that too. You said all those people that are working on recordings right now, I think the creative output over the last, you know, oh, yeah. I can't imagine. You'll look back five years from now and go, that was maybe one of the most creative seasons yep. 
in our lives. Yep, you slowed down, you just had time to do it. Yeah, so. exactly. So that's pretty exciting. I can't wait to hear what people are doing, you know, the, the recordings that will come out in a, you know, in a year. 2021, 2022, yeah. it's going to be like, oh man, this is going to be great. Yep. It's going to be great. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Jim. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Heath Bar, folks. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I really hope you enjoyed listening to Jim and I talk for a while and uh, getting to know a little bit more about Arts South Dakota. And like I said, you can check them out at artssouthdakota.org. I'll have all the links as well up in the show notes for this podcast. Um, and you can check me out uh, on the website on my website as well, theheathbarpodcast.com. Until next time. <laughs>